Thank you, brother, very much for leading us in that worship. Always from the heart and always songs chosen very specifically for their truth, and we're grateful for that. Look with me at the text on the screen as I read along. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Well, as you recall, last week we are in a series called The Advent. Each one of these sermons, there's going to be four of them for this month that I'm preaching, is called The Advent and followed by a different title after that. As you might recall, last week was called The Advent, The King is on His Way. Well, today the sermon title is the Advent, Light Out of Darkness. The Advent, Light Out of Darkness. Let's just get right into the text because there's so much here. And I believe that even though, like I said last, last week, this is a subject that we get the blessing of refocusing on every year because built into our culture, which by the way, we should be very thankful for because it's not built into every culture all over planet earth, but built into our culture, we have this thing called Christmas where we focus on the birth of Jesus Christ again and again every single year. But there are still new truths to be seen from this same old truth every year. And I hope with God's help that he will show us some of these things through this sermon this morning, some new things that you maybe haven't seen before. So let's just start in verse 26 then, okay? Let's jump right into it. We see here in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, now he's familiar because last week he was the same one who appeared to Zechariah in the temple and told him about the birth of John, this one who would prepare the way for the king. Here he is again. Gabriel's busy. He was sent, now notice this, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The reason why I focused on the fact that he was sent from God is, I want to point this out, God initiated this. 
This was God-initiated. This was God's plan at God's time done in God's way. That's very important. God initiated the coming of his son to save us. Why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because he didn't have to. You know that, right? When the angels sinned against God, remember the angels that sinned in heaven? It was a third of them, we're told, in the Bible, rebelled with Satan because of pride. He took a third of the angels with him, and we're told in the book of Luke that hell was originally created for the devil and his angels. They are definitely going there. God did not send the angels a savior. You know that, right? He did not send them a savior. Why? He didn't have to. He's not beholden to them in any way. Nor is he actually to us. But he chose to send us a savior. And he didn't send the angels one. God initiated this. God initiated this. And that is really good news. Because he did not have to initiate it. He would still be God of heaven and earth, completely just, right, pure, holy, beautiful, loving even, and still having not sent us a Savior. We chose to, and didn't have to, because he's also, on top of all those other things, he's also gracious, and that he doesn't give to man what man deserves. He gives him a chance to be forgiven. And that's really good news. God initiated this. God sent the angel. This angel, Gabriel, was sent from God. To where? Verse 27, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Her being betrothed, you guys have heard this a lot, it was sort of like engaged, but much more than that. It was basically as good as married, though the consummation of the marriage hadn't happened yet. But it was treated almost as equal to marriage, so much so that we hear about in other texts that when, uh uh-oh, Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant, he says he thinks about giving her a certificate of divorce, though they were just betrothed. So it's way more than dating It's way more than even courting. And so she is betrothed to this man named Joseph. And we're told a little bit about Joseph here that I want to focus on. That he's of the house of David. Do you see that? Luke's specific to point that out. Luke didn't have to point that out. I mean, Joseph, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is the only mention he gets in this portion right here. In our section of scripture. It's the only time he even comes up. So he doesn't even have to mention that he's of the house of David. So why does he even mention that? Well, two things. I think to point out this, Jesus is connected to the promises that were made to David, not only through his heavenly father, but even through his earthly father. He qualifies both. He qualifies with both. His heavenly father is the one who sent him to sit on the throne of David forever. But even though, even that, even his earthly father, he's still qualified through him because, let me talk about this promise of David that I just made reference to in case you're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, Cohen. King David, from long ago, prior to this happening, remember David and Goliath, that David? Well, when he grew up, he became a king. 
God made David some promises. He made a covenant with David. This is why we call it the Davidic covenant. Perhaps you've, maybe you've heard that phrase. Well, this is what it refers to. He promised him, someone from your line will sit on the throne forever, he said. Someone from your line, David, is going to sit on the throne forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of that because Jesus is also from the line of David, also from the tribe of Judah, and he will and is sitting on the throne in heaven forever. A true, real descendant of David because he truly, really became man like us, flesh and blood. He got hungry, he sweat, he had dirt under his fingernails. He was a real man. So, I think that's one reason why Luke mentions, why the Holy Spirit tells Luke to mention, he's over the house of David, because he fulfills this promise through his heavenly father, and even through his earthly father. Secondly, he mentions this, because we later learn that this would later lead Mary to go with Joseph to Joseph's town of Bethlehem, because that's the, that's the town of David. And so, in order that this census had to happen, remember the census that brought them to Bethlehem? Mary has the baby there in Bethlehem, fulfilling a, a, a prophecy that was hundreds of years before that. God saw to it that a Roman wanted to have a census and that this woman had a husband who was from that town. It's just amazing. And perfectly fulfilled a prophecy that was made hundreds of years before that. So I think that's the second reason why it's mentioned here that Joseph is of the line of David, because that's going to get him to Bethlehem later. He had to go to the town of his ancestral birth. And the virgin's name was Mary, we're told. Now look at verse 28. The angel starts speaking. And he came to her and said, Greetings, and this greeting is important. O favored one, the Lord is with you. And you might say, okay, you said it's important. I guess it's important, Cohen. Why is it important? Why, why is that an important greeting? Well, remember that the primary audience for this letter was, was going to be, um, well, really for everyone, but who was Mary? She was a Jewish young lady. Jesus, of course, was, was Jewish. The Jewish Bible, of course, is the Old Testament. And guess what? We have similar things just like this that we find in this greeting said to two key people in the Old Testament, even at two key times, that I think are supposed to parallel with those people and those times. What do I mean? Well, let's just break it down. He came, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. In the Old Testament, you might remember someone else that's said to be favored or that finds favor. Those of you who grew up on the King James or are still reading the King James, uh, this person was said to have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This word here, it's the Greek word charis. You have to sort of when you say it, if you're going to say it right. If you don't worry about saying it right, don't worry, just say charis. But if you want to say it right, you have to say charis. It's the word for grace, and it means favored, unearned favor from God, unmerited favor. 
So literally, it's like, greetings, O graced one, you who have found grace. There's an Old Testament figure named Noah. And we're told, remember Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There's even an old southern gospel song that's all about that. They say it over and over again. Um, But really, it's, and if you read it in the ESV, it's the he who's favored. It says about Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And it's the same word there. Yes, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, so it's actually a Hebrew word there. But there is a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, in case you're wondering. And it's got that same root word in it for favor right there that was given to Noah. It's got that same root word of charis right there. Really, it's Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor in God's eyes. And if this word... Um, rings a bell in almost anybody's head who's familiar with the Old Testament, it's, oh yeah, it's Noah was also favored. He was favored. Second part of this greeting is important as well. Greetings of everyone, the Lord is with you. Now that exact phrase, the Lord is with you, is said of one other person in the Old Testament too, and it's the man Gideon. You might remember an angel also came to him. We don't get that angel's name. We don't know who that angel was. Um, But there's an angel who appears to this man, Gideon, and says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, is what he says. That exact phrase is said to Gideon. So a Jewish, especially, student of Scripture would hear these things in this phrase and say, well, okay, the, those two things were said to two other people once, or said about them. It was, we, for Noah, it was said about him. For Gideon, it was said to him. But what's interesting about this greeting and those parallels that we can draw is this. Both those men, Noah and Gideon, both existed in very dark times. Remember, this sermon's called Light Out of Darkness. Noah existed in actually one of the darkest times for planet Earth. How dark was it? The Bible says that men on the Earth at that time, you know what it says about them? Every thought and intention of man's heart was only evil continually. You think it's bad now? We kind of watch the news and we say, gosh, things are horrible. Well, there was a time where the thoughts and intentions of man's heart was only evil continually. How evil, Cohen? So evil, God flooded the entire planet and killed everyone except for eight people on an ark. That's how bad it was. That's how much justice needed to be dealt out by God Almighty. He flooded the entire planet That's how dark it was. Now, the second person, Gideon, he also existed in a dark time. You might recall what book we read about Gideon in. It's the book of Judges. And if you know anything about the book of Judges, it's not a happy book. It's a bad time for the people of Israel. It's a very bad time. They've gone to follow the ways of the Canaanites. They're worshiping idols. They're sinning horribly. Actually, the end of the book is very disturbing. 
and Gideon exist in this time. When the Midianites have taken over and are oppressing the people of Israel. So Noah exists during a dark time for planet Earth. Gideon exists in a dark time for the people of Israel. And isn't it interesting that this phrase, this greeting that he gives to Mary, mimics both of those greetings given to those men or things said about those men? Because, guess what? It wasn't really a super happy time for the people of Israel when Mary is spoken to either, is it? The Romans have invaded this land. The Romans are oppressing and taxing these people. The Jews are not happy. The religious system is, <laughs> is pretty messed up too. How do we know it's messed up? Did you know some of the harshest words that Jesus speaks against people in the Bible are to those religious legalists of his day? The harshest words that he has to say are to the religious elite of his day. So even spiritually, even the religious leaders that are supposed to be leading people in righteousness are just leading people in this oppressive legalism of rule-keeping. It's very strict and wooden. And so Mary doesn't live in a, a really bright time either. And this greeting mimics a greeting that was said to other people as well. And it's cool because through Noah, though, God preserved a righteous remnant. That's the hope that we have through Noah, God preserved a righteous remnant, and through Gideon, God rescued a repentant people. So yes, there are dark times, but there are also times where God showed up and did something magnificent. During the time of Noah, there's one way for man to be saved, in the ark, only one way. During the time of Gideon, he rescued the people of Israel through this miraculous way that nobody thought was possible. And we put both those things together, and we get that in Jesus, too. There's only one way to be saved, through Jesus Christ. And there's only one way that it can be done, through a miraculous work of God that nobody thinks is possible. Isn't that beautiful? This is, just, this is beautiful. It really is. So, verse 28 is a, is a positive statement. Greetings, O everyone, the Lord is with you. Well, then in verse 29, we get sort of a negative response to it, though. Look at verse 29. But, that's a contrast word there for us, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Though the greeting was full of happy things, this was still an angel from heaven, from heaven appearing to her. And we've, we've mentioned this so many times. That's scary. That's a, that's a scary thing. Angels are mighty, majestic beings, usually resplendent with light. And the people are terrified when they see them. Which is why he then says in the very next verse, verse 30, do not be afraid. <laughs> why? Because she was afraid. When you think of angels, know that this is what they're like. The heavenly realm it's not a realm that we're familiar with. It's not a realm that we're close to. We exist on planet Earth. Those of you who are saved, of course, you have the Spirit of God. But you need to understand that heaven is so different than what you're thinking. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. If you can imagine it, it's not good enough, is it? According to that verse. Heaven is so very different from what we are familiar with. Though we do get a taste of heaven... In the church, we do get a taste of heaven 
when we're saved. We get a taste of it. And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but you will be filled. That taste is meant to make us hunger and thirst for more. Mary sees this angel. She's afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? You found favor with God. Again, there's that word. You found favor. It's that Greek word that means unearned favor, unearned grace with God. And this is the result of this favor. Verse 31. I want you to understand, Mary wasn't visited by this angel because she earned it. It's not that Mary was better than all other women on planet Earth. It's not even that Mary was sinless. I know our Catholic friends believe that, but she was not sinless. How do we know that? She'll say, which we'll see, I believe it's next week, um, well, actually, my next sermon, your, other, your, your wonderful elder Butch is going to be preaching for you next week. But what we're going to see is that she says, my spirit re- rejoices in God, my Savior. You don't need a Savior unless you need something to be saved from. And she needed to be saved from her sin. And she recognizes God is her Savior from her sin. Not Savior from the Romans, her Savior from sin. So she found favor, not because she was sinless. She found favor because God chose to grace her. She was a part of his plan just because he chose it to be that way. Now, was she godly? Yes. Was she upright? Yes. And praise God for that. But because God chose to favor her, verse 31 is going to happen. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is how you're favored, Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus, which, by the way, in in Hebrew, that word is Yehoshua. In Aramaic, it's Yeshua. And in Greek, it's Iesus, which means the Lord saves. That's what the word Jesus means. It's actually actually the same word as Joshua, believe it or not. It's 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 the same word. That's why in Hebrew, like I told you, it's pronounced Yehoshua. You can kind of hear Joshua there, right? It's, the, it's actually the same word. It means the Lord saves. Saves from what? Saves from what? Anytime we're crying out, save me, it's because I'm in trouble. I'm in danger. If I was drowning, I might cry out, save me. If someone's in our home, and I feel threatened by that. Of course, I'm going to call 911 and say, we need, we need someone to get here and save us. Why? We're going to perish. I need to be saved out of this situation. What's, what's causing us to perish? Well, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You know what wages is. Wages is something that you earn. Like I might say, where do you work? Oh, I might say, well, what are your wages? Okay, that's not appropriate to actually ask. But if we were really close, I might say, what are your wages? What's that mean? What do you earn? That's what that means, right? Okay, other scenario. You might ask your boss. Let's put it that way. Even if we were close, I probably wouldn't still ask you what you made. You might ask your boss. So what are the wages here? What am I going to earn for working here? Wages is what you earn. The Bible says the wages 
of sin is death. And it doesn't mean death just, uh, it means spiritual death, separation from God in hell forever. And so, what does Jesus come to save us from? Our sin. Jesus came to save you from your sin. How? Well, by remaining sinless, by perfectly keeping the law of God, doing something that we couldn't do, no one in here, definitely not me, can raise my hand and say, oh, I've perfectly kept God's laws. Never sinned in my life. Don't know what sin is. People, I hear people talking about it. Never heard of it. Don't do it. No, no. There's a beautiful young lady in this front row who can tell you that ain't true. <laughs> yes, I'm in the same camp with all of us in need of a Savior. And I found a Savior in Jesus Christ, a sinless Savior who can die in my place as though he was a lawbreaker, though he's a law keeper. He chose to come over into this camp as if he was a lawbreaker and take the wrath of God that he did not deserve, die in my place so that I can be put in this camp, the righteous camp. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's how we're saved. Someone died in our place. Someone took the punishment that you deserve so that you can go free. He shed his blood and he really did die. And he really rose again on the, on the third day, proving that what he said was true, proving that God received his payment for sin. And that's how we can be saved. That's why this name is important. You're going to give him the name Jesus. It couldn't have been any other name. It couldn't have been Peter, Andrew, Mark, Bartholomew, any of those other guys. This name, this is the name because this means the Lord saves. And then we're told about him. In verses 32 and 33, I'm not going to show the slide for that yet, brother, because I want to cover all this, and then we'll show it to them. We'll build up to it. Look at verse 32. It says this, he will be great. He starts now describing what this Jesus is going to be like. First, he says, you're going to have a son. You're going to give him this name. And now verses 32 and 33 say, and this is what he's going to be like, and this is what he's going to do, and this is what he's going to get. We start off with, he will be great. Well, that should remind us of what was said last week. You might remember when Gabriel came to Zechariah, he was describing John the Baptist, remember? And he says the same thing about him. He says, he'll be great and will go before him in the spirit of Elijah to prepare his way. He'll go before the Lord, we're told. He'll be great and he'll go before the Lord. And we said last week that John the Baptist is great because of who he points to, the one who's the greatest. That's what actually made John the Baptist great, was he pointed everyone to someone greater than him. But we get something different after this part where it says, he will be great. We don't just stop there. We get something different that definitely differentiates John the Baptist and Jesus. A huge, we, things diverge wildly now. They start off the same, he'll be great, now... We're going to see this guy's great in a totally different way than John the Baptist is going to be great. How so? He will be great and will be called, number one, the son of the most high. The most high is, of course, a reference to the most high God. So he's going to be now the son of the most high, equating him with deity. 
And the Lord will give him the, look at this, throne of his father David. Remember that promise I told you guys earlier? One of David's descendants is going to sit on the the throne forever. Well, now we learn who it's going to be. This is the one. This is the one we've been waiting for. He gets the throne. Wow. Okay. There's more. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, children in here, in case you're like, who's Jacob and why is Jesus going to get to be boss of his home? You know, it doesn't mean Jesus is going to come into this guy's house named Jacob and, and rule over his, his house. What's it mean? From Jacob came 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, which made Israel. That's why Jacob is even given the name Israel sometimes, because he's, the, he's the, really the... Technically, it started with Abraham. But if we got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and from Jacob came the 12 tribes. So sometimes people will just refer to all of Israel as the house of Jacob. All the Israelites, all the Jews. And the angel says, he will reign over them all. Why is that a big deal? Well, as you guys might remember in the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel split under King Rehoboam. He split the nation in half. So then we had a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. This group was called Judah. No, this group was called Israel. This group was called um, Judah. And I think I got my objects upside down there, but I think you know what I'm saying. I can always ask Amy after my sermon, so what did I misquote? What did I say wrong? She says, well, you said this instead of this. But I think you guys know what I'm saying, right? Isn't there grace in this room too? Don't I get some unearned favor (laughs) from you all when I misspeak? (laughs) So there's this split kingdom, and they get taken over, and everything goes bad. And what we hear about this king, though, is he's going to reign over the whole house of Jacob. No more divided kingdom. He's going to reign over them all. He's going to be the king of all the Jews, both physical and spiritual, we later learn throughout the New Testament. And then we're still not done. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So this is just so good because we've got, number one, the angels equating him with deity. We go, so we start with heaven, right? Then we go to, and he's going to get this throne, the throne that's promised to one of David's descendants that keeps going on forever. Number three, we get he's going to reign over all the people of Israel, all of them. And then number four, we get, and guess what? He's never going to die. All the others, kings, they died. Most of them were bad even. This one, he's not going to. So it's like this beautiful waterfall of words. It's just, it's like a crescendo. It just keeps going further and further, and every little spot is just still more beautiful and adds to the whole waterfall. It starts off with, he's going to be the son of God, and he's going to reign on a throne, and he's going to reign over all of Israel, and he's going to reign forever. There's going to be no end. I mean, verse, verses 32 and 33, hands down, are the bright, shining focus of this section. No question. If, if somehow your Bible was illuminated, those verses would glow more brightly than the rest of them. All the verses would glow because they're all wonderful. 
This one would shine out and jump out so much more. It is definitely the focus. You can see on my handwritten notes here, you can see where the highlight is. See all the, see all the orange and pink right there for those verses? It just, it just, it's got so much highlighting going on on that one because that's the focus right here. And then now, though this news is so wonderful, it's actually so wonderful that she can't even understand how any of it's going to happen. She says this, verse 34. How will this be, she says, since I am a virgin? How is this even going to happen? I've never been with a man. You're saying I'm going to have a child. I don't even understand how this is possible. All these things sound so wonderful, but I'm still, I'm still hung up on part one where you said you're going to conceive. How? And her questioning there was a sincere questioning, I believe. I don't think it was asked out of any doubt, like, what? No, I don't get it. It wasn't with an attitude. It was a sincere, how? I don't understand. Well, the angel gives her an answer. He doesn't actually just give her one answer. He gives her three. He answers her question, sincere question, from a pure heart. In three ways. And I'm so glad he does because we get so much here. We get so much. Look at verse 35. This is the first part of the answer to her question. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And when you read this verse, a spirit coming upon, overshadowing, it might also make you think back to something that the Spirit did in the Old Testament where he was hovering over. Remember, at the very beginning, we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And guess what? That was before light was even made. That was before God even said, let there be light. We get this. Sort of a loose reference, I get that, but it definitely makes me think about this imagery of the Spirit of God hovering over the uncreated world where everything was still dark. But then he spoke and said, let there be light. Again, this light, dark, this like a dark time of Noah and Gideon and God did something amazing. And again, this reference to overshadowing, making me think back to God's hovering over the waters when it was just dark. And this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to cause this to happen. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and cause this to happen. Therefore, because the Holy Spirit is the origin of this, that's how it's going to happen. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Had this child been from Joseph, he would not have been born Holy he would have been a descendant of Adam and would have inherited the sin nature of Adam. The fact that he's conceived of the Holy Spirit means he's born without a sin nature. He's not born with a natural bent towards sin because the Holy Spirit conceived him. Of Mary, though, which means he's still man as well, but not connected to Adam's lineage with the sin nature. That's, 
amazing. That's the only way God can become man and also be a savior from sin, man's sin. Second part of the answer is this, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now, this was, this was last week's sermon, all about her and Zechariah and what happened there. She was too old to have a child. Not only that, she was barren. She couldn't even have children in the first place, even had she still been a young lady. And God did this. That's the second part of his answer. And the third part of his answer is this, for nothing will be impossible with God. So how will this be since I'm a virgin? Number one, the Holy Spirit will cause this to happen. Number two, God has already done something amazing with your relative and causing something that everybody thought was impossible to happen. And number three, God can do it because he can do anything. So he answers her question by saying this is what he will do, this is what he has done, and this is what he can do. He can do anything. And this is how it's going to happen, Mary. Your God can do anything that can be done in accordance with his will. And then verse 38 is beautiful because what we see here is Mary's heart. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now that word, servant, is literally the word that can also be translated slave. It's the word doulos, which means slave. Um, she's basically saying, I'll do what the Lord wants. He's the boss. I'm the employee. He's the master. I'm the servant. He's the king. I'm one of his servants here. I'm submitting to the Lord's will. I just want you to see this about Mary. She's her submission, her, her trust, and then also her willingness to obey. Submission, trust, and willingness to obey. And guess what? Nothing has changed about receiving God's will and walking in it. You and I need all those, don't we? All three of those things, I need them as well. Submission to his will. Trust that what he says is true. And trust in his character. And then lastly, a willingness to obey. All three of those have to be there in my heart too and in yours. Always. If any one of them are missing, submission, well then you start to rebel trust is missing, well, then you start to doubt. If a willingness to obey is not there, well, then we know what the opposite of that is, disobedience. So all three of those have to be there. If any one of them isn't, that's when we get in trouble. Okay, Cohen, I agree with you. That's what I need help with. That's why I'm here in church. Help me with this. Okay, I hear you. How do you work on this? How do you get better at that? How do we be more like Mary in this way? Well, what you're doing today is hugely helpful for you. Meeting with the people of God, being around people who are also committed to living this way, who are also committed to forming their lives by what this book says, trusting that it's true, submitting to what it says, and being willing to obey it, because this is the word of God. That's why we call it that, because it is his word. And guess what? God never separates himself from his word. That's a lot bigger truth than you realize it is right now. 
That's a lot bigger truth than you realize it is. God never separates himself from his word. So if you think you can disbelieve this book and disobey this book and not trust this book, but still somehow follow God, that's, that's not the God of the Bible. Know that. I tried to pull that off for a long time when I was a teenager, thinking, oh, me and God, we're tight. We're just, it's him and me. While I was walking in rank disobedience to his word. All the while thinking, but I'm going to go to heaven, you know, because God's nice. You know, nice people let you do things. No, it's not, that's not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture wants us to be like Mary, submit to his will, trust him, and be willing to obey. And when we do that, light comes out of darkness. Because she was willing to do this, the Messiah was born and brought light to all of us. Right? And if you're wondering about darkness in your life, if you're like, just things just seem dark in my life. Things are just not the way I want them to be. I just, I'm lacking this light. Okay, I've been there too. I've been there too. Guess what Jesus said? Let's put up this last slide because Jesus mentioned something about him being light. Jesus said this about himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, that's the key here, will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You want light in your life? You want life in your life? Jesus is the only way, and following him is the only way. And this is the announcement about when he would be coming about, when light would shine into a dark place and light would come out of darkness. Amen? Amen. And that's the Advent, and that's what the Advent is about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this message, this greeting and announcement that we have the privilege of being able to read and study almost as if we were in the room when it happened that day when Gabriel appeared to Mary. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring it. Thank you, Lord, for giving uh, Mary the memory even to recount these things to Luke as she would have done. And thank you that Luke recorded them and that they've been preserved as sacred scripture from that day on. Lord, help us to walk in this truth. Thank you that light has come. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've come to save us from our sins, giving us grace that we don't deserve like Noah and like Gideon. And Lord, though our sin does darken our world, Lord, you can forgive us. Forgiveness is made available to everyone who will repent and trust today. Lord, for those of us who are already in the faith, help us to be like Mary. Help us to submit and to trust and to obey these wonderful truths. We pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.